0: back to Revive School. I'm Sean Carlson. I'm excited to be here with you. Today we're studying Romans chapter 8. This is lesson 8. We're starting off uh, in the Pauline epistles and so uh, we're excited to start pouring through some of these letters. Uh, you know, Romans chapter 8, if you read a lot of commentaries or if you read your study Bible, a lot of people will set up Romans chapter 8 saying this is the most beautiful chapter in the Bible. We'll see that we have no judgment, no condemnation, but uh, I-, I discovered something that I-, I think will come out at the end that Rocked my world, and I hope it rocks your world too, and uh, just makes it all the more beautiful of a chapter. And so remember, yesterday in chapter 7, we're talking about the law, and then today we're talking about the spirit. So the law versus the spirit. That's our setup for this, is that we're contrasting it with the law by talking about how great the spirit is. And so we can jump right in into Romans 8. Chapter 1, we're going to read from the ESV version, and it starts off by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is the expression of a very strong disapproval. And so in other words, there there is no strong disapproval for those who are in Christ Jesus. And who is it talking about as disapproving? We're talking we're not being disapproved by the Lord, we're not being disapproved by the law. We're in Christ. There's no disapproval. The justifier has set us free. The justificator has removed the penalty. I'm going to get wrecked with that word. Uh, So if we go to verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You might remember a couple days ago in Romans chapter 6, we were talking about putting sin to death and living this abundant life. That's what we're referencing here. The the Spirit of life has set us free. And so if we go to verse 3 and 4, Kevin, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Keep that in mind, weakened by the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Think about this. The, the law, it was set up, it was trying to, to keep us in our lane, Try to keep us... Uh, connected to God, perfect, holy. The law was, try to, was there to try to do all of that for us. And in concept, it was good. But then you add in us, <clears throat> humans, flesh, and all of a sudden it, the law has become weakened because we cannot uphold the law. We cannot uh, submit to all of the, the law would have for us. In verse, in verse 4, there's this phrase that says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's some debate out there among the scholars, because this is not in all of the manuscripts. And, and what they say, because this is in some of the translations of the Bible, what they say is that this gets a little tricky, because it can kind of get you into a mindset of thinking that there's something that I can do. Now, Who not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, walking according to the spirit, it, it, it can conjure up stuff like that, that like this is a works thing. It's not just relax. If, if you're one of those folks that It's like, what does that mean? So just know that we mess up. We do not have to perform uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were sinning. Christ died for us in the midst of all that. So we don't have to do anything to try to get ourselves to to come to the Lord. We are free from judgment. This is an incredible thing. We are free from judgment. God is not sitting up there condemning us. He's not sitting up there making tallies of all the things that we did wrong. God loves us and he gives us abundant grace. And so uh, if we go in, as we go into the, the next set of verses, 5 through 17, I, I just, I, I kind of want to like set this, set this up because uh, we are in process, all of us, as believers, we're in process. And this next section gets again a little bit tricky because people will say this is what defines a believer from a non-believer. And yes, that's true. But I think you have to understand that as new believers or as believers in general, we are in process. And so we're constantly growing. So keep that in mind as we read through this next set of verses. So in verse five, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So this is distinguishing between two groups of people: those who set their mind, uh, those who are in the flesh, and those who are in the spirit. And so uh, I remember. This is. I want to give you this illustration. I remember when I became a believer, uh, right shortly after, within within the days, the weeks, the months after, I would be wherever. I even sitting in church and you know thoughts would pop into my mind or judgments of people or you know that even the pastor would say something in a sermon and I would have a, an off-color joke that would just, you know, it would just it was awesome like it would it would make good fun of whatever the pastor just said but I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself like man I'm, I'm new in Christ like I have a new mind I'm a new creature I'm a new creation why am I still battling with some of these things why do I still deal with these thoughts with these actions, with, with judgment, dirty jokes, all that stuff. Why do I still struggle with that, God, if I'm a new creature? And at times for me, I was defeated because I'm starting to walk this thing out. And it's like, what gives? I don't, I don't understand. And so let's go to, Kevin, we're going to go to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I want to point some stuff out in there. Uh, and then I want to uh, draw a, a picture of like, what is this growth in Christ look like? So, John chapter 15, verse 1, it says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is a dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So this spoke to me when I read it. And we go to verse 4. It says, abide in me, and I in you. We are together. Uh, As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So picture this. I'm a new believer. I'm like, why am I having these thoughts? Why am I, why am I still kind of coming up with these, you know, judgments against people and stuff like that? And it hit me like, I, I need to be in him. And God, over time, he's going to prune these things out of my life. He's going to allow some of that stuff to be cut off. I still have to adjust to new life uh, in, in uh, Christ. And in the process of cutting things off, things are going to grow. We have a peach tree in our backyard, and this spring, not long ago, I, I did some pruning because peach trees have to be shaped like a uh, <laughs> a martini glass or a wine glass, speaking of thoughts that aren't of, of the Lord. Uh, they have to be shaped like that so that sun and air can get in all around, and so as I was pruning it, I had to take a lot of branches out of the tree, and it looked terrible. In fact, I, it looked so ugly that I was like, oh, this is... Our yard's going to look gross people aren 't going to want to look out our windows. My wife is going to be upset because the tree looks terrible. But as spring has gone on and, and new shoots start sprouting it 's starting to fill in, and you know what it 's actually starting to fill in the way that I desire it to fill in, uh, and over time over the next couple of years i 'll keep pruning it so that tree starts to look like it should so that it can grow perfect peaches so that we can have yummy, yummy pie in the, in the summertime. And so the, 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 the thought process here is that we are in Christ, we are in process, allow God to prune us so that we don't struggle with these things, but God gives us grace so that we can grow in them. And here's the key, that key word grow. If you go to Galatians 5, 22 through 24, it's the fruit of the spirit. We're talking about pruning. We're talking about like, why, why am I still doing these things that I don't want to do I'm trying to grow as a believer in Galatians 5.22. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the key to that verse for me is the first couple of words, but the fruit of the Spirit. The thing about fruit is that it has to grow. And it kind of illustrated that in, in the John chapter, but the fruit has to grow. It just doesn't appear. It just doesn't show up. It has to grow, and it grows over time. And these things of the spirit of God can be planted inside of us and allowed to grow if we allow, if we abide in the father and we allow him and his spirit to change our lives over time. So when we go back to this conversation of believer, non-believer, and you're like, well, I still do things that are of the flesh, relax. God is going to allow you to be pruned by Him. You are going to abide in Him. And in the process, you're going to grow and you're going to produce fruit. And so the whole point of this is that there is a process to go through as believers in general and especially new believers. And so we can move on. Let's go to verse 6. For for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And in verse 7... It says, For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So if our mind, if we are a non-believer, if our mind is set to the things of the flesh, we, uh, we've talked about this, Though that's who I'm obedient to, that's my master, and I cannot please God. If, my, if, if I'm in the flesh, if I'm not in Christ, I cannot please God. I'm hostile to God. I do not submit to God's law if I'm submitting to something else. I can't. I cannot submit to two masters. And so uh, as, as, I, as, I, as I was growing in my faith, I quickly began to see the fruit of like, okay, I'm going to abide in this moment. And as I abide in, in one area of my life, it actually uh, grows out into other areas of my life. And so if I'm obedient in this area... I've, I've casted that away, uh, and so the next area I can be obedient to, and I, I, all of a sudden I start collecting areas of my life on this side where I'm obedient, and then <clears throat> the pile of obedient things on the on the flesh side, they start to go away, and I started to experience freedom. And in that process, I recognized who I was in Christ. I recognized who Christ was in my life, and I recognized the freedom and the power that I had in Christ, and it allowed me to do this. It allowed me to have take control of my thoughts and it allowed me to recognize when the things of the flesh or the things of the enemy started to creep in. So again, I'm in church. Uh, You know, the pastor makes a comment. I've got a great, you know, anecdote joke to it. Uh, I can recognize now right away. All right, that's not of you, Lord. That's my flesh. Go away. I'm not even going to entertain that thought. I'm not going to entertain that idea. And so over time, you start to do these things and it becomes practice. And, And the enemy gets worn out by that. The enemy gets worn out when we are abiding in Christ, when we are walking by the Spirit, and the enemy knows that we are not going to be swayed. And over time, that stuff just starts to, bit, to diminish away. All right, Kevin, let's go to Ephesians 5, 7. So here's the thing. There's, there's a lot of times when, when it's easy to say what to do, but I'm kind of a big proponent of, well, tell me how to do it because I know I'm supposed to, but how do I do it? And I think this helps. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them. This is talking about everybody who is in sin in, in Ephesus, uh, but just kind of take it for what it says. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So here's the how: like try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do I discern? How do you guys discern what is pleasing to the Lord? What are the things that you do to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Well, I think you've got to start by going back to that fruits of what the fruit of the spirit are. So you start start with those as your baselines, and discerning, you know as you're in the word as you build the relationship it's it's like you start knowing what his voice sounds like because you're listening Yeah, I mean, you're spending time with the Father. Like you said, you're spending time in the Word. You're spending time with Him in prayer. I would say even spending time with other believers. And then even, I would go so far as to say partnering with Him in things like ministry. So, you know, go out and share the gospel. Go out and experience what He's doing out in the community. And so that's, for me, that's a how. How do I spend time with Him? How do I get to know Him? Uh, How do I get to know what He has for me? I spend time with Him and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So let's go to Romans uh, 8, verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, hmm, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not in Christ. And this is encouraging to me because it says we're, we're not in the flesh. We're believers here. We're not in the flesh. And so all of that stuff that we're talking against, we're free from that because we're in Christ. This is amazing, amazing news. Uh, and and because we want to make sure that the Spirit is in us, we just need to make sure that we're right with God. And it's, it's that simple. And at the same time, we want to make sure the people around us are right with God. We want the Spirit in them. Because as we're going to see as we get to the end of this, God is using all of this, I believe, to prepare us. And so with that in mind, in verse 10, it says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so here's the thing. When we are in the Spirit, I think the things of the Spirit breed more things of the Spirit. Things of the Spirit breed righteousness. And I have a story. I love a story to illustrate this. Rich's son, Joey. Rich's son, Joey, uh, mows our lawn every once in a while. If, If we travel for ministry, he'll come over and he'll mow our lawn. He does an incredible job at mowing our lawn. The, the, the grass is perfect. And then he gets out the edger and he does all the edges around. He gets the trimmer out. He does all the trimming uh, around the house, around the garden beds, the trees. Uh, he blows all of the clippings off the sidewalk. His, the, he does an amazing job at mowing the lawn. I, I try. I, I really do. I try to do as good of a job as he does, but I, I don't do it. But here's the thing. When he, when he mows our lawn and we get to come come home and pull in the driveway and, and see how great it looks, it actually motivates in us a desire to do other things to the house. You know, we see the gutter that's bent. It's like, well, wow, you know, the yard looks so good. I better make sure the gutter looks good. Or, or the trim that's not painted on the window. Like you get the idea, the landscaping. If, if some of the landscaping is off and the rest of the yard looks good, it motivates me to want to fix the landscaping in the yard so that everything is looking good. Everything is righteous. In this example. And so one of the reasons I like Joey to do my lawn, even if we're home, I'll pay him to come over and do it a couple times a summer just to kind of get it reset and looking good because it motivates me to want to do more good. So uh, in, in verse 11, if the spirit of whom raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That means we don't owe anything to the flesh. We don't owe the spirit. We don't owe anything. We don't have to submit to the flesh. It's It's like when you get a loan at the bank. You're submitted to the bank. The bank owns you. And so in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Remember, sin leads to death. This is in the spiritual context. In verse 14, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. You're a son of God. Uh, In verse 15, we're going to expand on this because I think there's a really cool thing going on here. Uh, In verse 15, For if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him him we are sons and daughters of god we are adopted and the way that this this word adoption is used in verse 15 like we are adult adopted that means that we're not growing into it like we are adopted we're there like we, there's no growing up that we have to do he's he has adopted us as adult children and so This example, I want to share with you, Wesley and Wade and I were out ministering to a guy not long ago, and one of the things that they asked this gentleman to pray was, ask Jesus what he thinks of you. And I just, it was kind of a good thing that they they said to him, he really needed to hear the love of the Father. But I was like, I don't think I've ever prayed, Jesus, what do you think of me? And so I tried it the next day, and I said, you know, Jesus, what what do you think of me? And you know what he said to me? He said, I think, right away, he said, I think you're a good dad and a good father, and I was like, well, that's cool. And so I kind of rested in that in a little uh, for a little bit. And then uh, my brain started working on that and saying, wait a minute. A good dad and a good father, what does that mean? Like, aren't they the same? Wouldn't you say they're the same? Now, obviously not because we're going to talk about it, right? But here's the thing. I, I was like, well, God, what's the difference between a dad and a father? And he said, here's the thing. A dad, dad is a label. Anyone can be a dad. It's just a label. It's just a label, but it's a label. A father... Is a description of activities and a responsibility. So you see the difference between that? A dad is just a label. Anybody can be a dad. You just have to have a kid. But a father has a role and a job description and responsibilities. And I think when we think about being adopted into God's family, adopted as adult children, the father for us has responsibilities and a description of activities that he's going to do with us he's going to grow us he's going to do all of these things and so if i wanted to put it flip the context of it and say all right if i'm a father if i want to walk out my life as a father what does that look like what is it for me and my kids specifically what does it look like for me to be a father and my role and my responsibility as a father is to do a few things number 1 i need to lead my children into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. I need to lead them into a relationship with Christ. I need to teach them to walk by the Spirit. So lead them into a relationship. I think we see that in, in the Scripture as Christ. The second thing I need to do is I need to set an example of living by the Spirit. So there's like righteous living that I want to set an example of. But I need to set for my children an example of living by the Spirit. That means following a prompting that the Spirit has in my life. And not just following it, but I need to teach my kids, hey, look, we did this because we felt like God was saying to us, this is what we need to do. And our kids, my kids need to learn that. They need to hear that. They need to learn how to be fathered because I can demonstrate how to be fathered in a in a, a contained context so that ultimately they can be fathered by the Father in heaven. The third thing I I want to do as I father is share in my own experiences and walk. I, I see the example of the of of that in the Old Testament. God shares with us his experiences with all of the stories that we have in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1st and 2 Samuel, all of those stories. That's God's experience with us. He's sharing that with us so that we can learn. The fourth thing is teaching my kids to do the same. So I'm sharing in my experiences with the Lord, and I want my kids to share in their experiences with the Lord, with me, with, with their siblings, with their friends, with our family. I want them to quickly learn how to father others. It's like this concept when we go out and teach people how to share the gospel, and, and we, or, or actually when we bring somebody into a, a saving relationship with the Lord for the first time, We want them to be disciples, but we also want them to go out and share their faith right away. The same thing applies. I want my kids to be able to do the same thing, to be able to father, start at an early age on how to father. And then the last thing is a trial and error. Being okay with learning through trial and error, just as the father is okay with us learning to, to, to live our lives via trial and error. So, God fathers us, and I think that he's fathering us as we get into the rest of this chapter. There's a lot left, but we'll get through it. He starts to talk about, don't be frustrated. And so, if we get into verse 18, I'll highlight some of these things. So, in the context of the Father, he's teaching these things to us. Verse 18, it says, For consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is... This is where I started, like looking at the rest of this chapter completely different, uh, because we get into you know the verse that that's, all things happen according to the, to, uh, to the Father of those who love Him, uh, and so like that's kind of what I think about chapter eight. But God has a plan that He uh, and a glory that He is going to reveal to us when He returns, and so He's telling us, He's fathering us right now in this verse to say, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to what you're about to experience. We're going to experience something so incredible when the father comes back that he said, don't worry about this suffering. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, Kevin, chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, it says this, uh, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. That means they come and go. But the things that are unseen are eternal. There's something eternal coming that we cannot see. God is trying to prepare us in these next verses so that we are ready for it. Don't worry about the trials. Don't worry about the trials. So and then verse 19, it says, uh, as we check this out, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Don't worry about what you're going through because God is coming. God has a plan. And here's, in, in verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I think this is for here, that in the spirit we can experience freedom. But ultimately, Christ is coming back because he's going to reign on earth and he's going to set everybody free. There's going to be no bondage, no corruption. He is getting us ready for his return in these verses. And if we go to verse, let's keep going, Kevin. Let's just go to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, until now, Riesby says, "Today's groaning and bondage will be exchanged for tomorrow's glorious liberty." I want to jump ahead here to verse uh, Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight. This is a verse that we all know. I think we all quoted a lot. It says, "And as we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." I think this, this is, we always say this when somebody's having trouble. Oh, you know, God's working it out. He's, he's, all things work together. I think God has a plan. God has a plan. He's coming back for his people. He knows what he wants to do. He knows he's going to return, and he knows what it's going to take to bring all of us back into glorious relationship with him when he comes down to earth. And he is charged us with getting ready for that. We have to share the gospel to the Gentiles. We have to make the Jews jealous. Uh, We have to walk by the Spirit. I believe that He wants us to walk by the Spirit so that we can walk out His plan. Not just so that we can have life abundant now. Yes, He wants that. But He wants us to have life abundant now so that we can walk out His plan for His return. He's causing Uh, all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We all have a calling in our life. We all have a destiny in our life. He has assigned us at birth to something that we're going to accomplish for his sake, for his kingdom. And he's always, if we mess up, if we get off track, he's going to take where we're at and he's going to use us according to his good and his purpose. And I think that He wants all of us to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit and what God is speaking to us and what God's plan is for us because his plan for us ultimately leads to his plan for all of us. And he is trying, in these verses, I believe, to get us past this frustration, past this, like, yes, it's going to be hard at times. I'm going to work all things together. You know something is coming. All right, Kevin, let's go to the next verse, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And in verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is beautiful. He justified us. He he set us free from sin. But he is getting us ready to help him usher in his own return. And if we go to verse uh, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's equipping us with everything that we need so that we can all get ready for his return. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God is taking care of us. We don't we do not have any charge coming against us because He wants us free to run after His ultimate purpose. Verse 34. Who is sick and damned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at a right hand of who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Look, the point of all of this is that. God is getting us ready. He's using us to get ready for his return. We're going to see that gloriously more in chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11. This is a really cool thing that is going on in the book of Romans, especially in chapter 8. Yes, we want to be walking by the Spirit because there's life in the Spirit. We want to be walking in obedience and righteousness because there's life in that, and we want to resist the enemy. But why would God have us walking in, in, according to the Spirit, not of the flesh, so that we are understanding his calling for us? It's because he has a plan to be reunited with all of his people and he's coming back for us. We don't have judgment. We are not defeated. We cannot be discouraged and we do not have to walk in fear. God wants you in Christ. He wants you led by the Spirit, putting away all the things of the flesh so that you have the capacity to do good, so that you are ready to execute his plan because He wants to be with us. He wants to come back and we have a part in it. And Romans 8, it's a beautiful chapter. It's a beautiful chapter because we're free and we're in Christ and we walk by the Spirit of God. But it's a beautiful chapter because we know by this, I think he's getting us ready for his return. That's a beautiful thing. It's Romans chapter 8. Come back for 9, 10, and 11 because the story is going to get so much better. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you later.